You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, good morning, welcome to the show. It's Friday, August the 27th. Dry, bright, sunny here in TW11. Lots to pack in over the next half an hour or so before I head off to Goodwood for the first of three days for their Celebration Mile meeting. With that in mind, I will be talking to trainers Richard Hannan and James Ferguson later in the programme. Hannan has news on all manner of stable stars, including next destination for his two-year-old Lucille and Snow Lantern, his brilliant three-year-old Philly. Later in the programme, James Willoughby will be along not only to talk about what's been a hugely dynamic week in the world of Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's global rankings, but also to talk with me about the world's best race card this weekend. That is Travers Day at Saratoga tomorrow. And he also tell you which horses come out top on the rankings for each of the feature grade ones. Lots of really fascinating storylines there. But back to news this week as we kick off this podcast. And momentum has gradually been building in the in the news pages of the of the Racing Daily about a, a possibility of a a festival this side of of Cheltenham to perhaps rival the one that the Irish do so well at Leopardstown in the in the Dublin Racing Festival and the idea that there could be some sort of UK equivalent it sparked quite a bit of debate it seems to be gathering a bit of steam Lydia Hislop is my guest this morning Lydia is this really a goer speaking personally I would say not because one of the things that I would prefer British and Irish racing to do is to make more joint decisions. They are essentially one horse population. I know that we don't get them um, coalescing in a major fashion until March and April, but uh, we do have some uh, crossover at the top level en route to that. Uh, I think most punters would like to see more of that. And so putting on a uh, a contest, a, a series of contests at exactly the same time as uh, the Dublin Racing Festival would seem to me to be rather daft. Um, at the moment, um, Irish seems to have Ireland seems to have a stronger set of horses. Uh, trainers that are, are inclined to run in the, in the Dublin Racing Festival, which was a collection of races that pre-existed, that are just brought together over two days. As Lee mentioned the other day, I, it hasn't increased uh, attendances. As far as I'm aware, it hasn't n- increased net betting turnover. So, uh, w- But what it has done is provide a, f- a focus, a narrative focus for fans, which perhaps is lacking in the same kind of way. But it's not the panacea that uh, many people imagine it is. And at the moment, with the uh, lack of strength in depth in the British population, to put um, a grade one littered meeting in direct opposition with an Irish grade one littered meeting uh, seems to me to be highly foolish. I would concur. In addition, are you not simply moving the deck chairs around? I'm not quite suggesting that the <laughs> that the British jump racing <laughs> is the Titanic yet. <laughs> but if you have to take 
race meeting A, move it to race meeting B. It's fundamentally the same races. You're putting more money in, you're putting a coat of varnish on. It's really no more than a marketing exercise. It's not making substantive change to the actual quality of the sport, is it? No, but I, I don't think the Dublin Racing Festival was anything other than that either. It just happens to have worked, I think, because Ireland have got a very strong population of horses at that time. I think that is uh, the most dominant reason for why we had the results that we had um, in at Cheltenham and at Aintree and across the season last season. But, you know, there's an essential tension, isn't there, between what trainers, particularly on this side of the Irish Sea, or many of the leading ones seem to to want and what punters and racing fans seem to want i mean nikki henderson is quoted today in the racing post as saying more opportunities would be good um well i think punters and racing fans feel that actually what they would like to see are better horses on in, better british trained horses clashing more often and therefore in order to achieve that i think what they would argue is that they'd like to see fewer opportunities because that would force the better horses to come together. Nick Henderson's also said that the last thing that you need is a mega dust up five weeks before Cheltenham. Um, and he says that's how you lose your race, not win them. Well, somebody needs to send William Mullins that memo, really, because I think what, that, what we have seen in the, in the preceding two or so years is that that um, policy of wrapping horses up in, in, in cotton wool, of not allowing clashes, of being fearful about those kind of encounters en route to your target at the Cheltenham Festival uh, is, is not uh, necessarily the way that you get a, a Cheltenham Festival winner. It, it's, it's held by some trainers on this side of the Irish Sea as an essential truth. I think what the last couple of seasons has proved is that it is not. Yeah, um, and roll on the autumn of this great flat season where one of the joys is that most of these horses have been running quite a lot at quite a lot of the big festivals and we've, uh, we've been enjoying it hugely, more of which in a few moments' time. But I want to touch upon the story that I picked up with Pete Scargill yesterday who with Bill Barber has been, has been talking about uh, the, the effect of black market firms on the bookmaking industry and on punters particularly and I wanted your your take on that um yeah I mean clearly if if vulnerable people are, are being targeted uh, by uh, nefarious and uh, non-regulated uh, gambling companies that has to be of concern but um I'm harking back to the PricewaterhouseCoopers report which was produced on behalf of the Betting and Gaming Council published in February the Betting and Gaming Council obviously a betting industry lobby group representing the majority of UK licensed bookmakers and casinos uh, they reported in February that bets with black market firms had doubled to 2.8 billion since November of last year however they never stated what type of customer used black markets and I've, I've had made contact with you know justice justice for punters brian chapel who was uh, quoted yesterday i think in in the racing post article to ask him what the main driver towards black markets might be and his view that what what needed to be addressed is one to ad address the point of black markets is to improve website blocking such as they do 
in Norway so that people with problems do not have access to these kind of sites, but fundamentally to address staking restrictions, because that's the reason why I, I rang them. I would have thought that the uh, most likely driver of punters towards a black market would not necessarily be problem gambling, but would actually be because they were subject to routine uh, uh, stake restrictions and account closures. So I asked Justice for Punters, uh, you know, in their experience, do problem gamblers uh, use the black market? And they say that in their experience, they've only ever had one case of a problem gambler um, coming to them with a problem d saying that they hadn't been paid via this. Because in their direct experience, problem gamblers are more likely to bet in shops or to tweak their registration details. So I think really, um, I would like to see uh, British gambling, the British gaming industry, put its own house in order by tackling those elements about problem problem gambling, um, it, by improving with government website blocking. That's a that's a governmental thing that can be done uh, along with gambling um, uh, ombudsman. And but the fundamental problem, I I think, and and this it was strangely. Uh, not mentioned in either of the Racing Post articles, either today or yesterday, is that the, a key driver towards black markets is account closures and account and stake stake restrictions. Well, the feature of Goodwood this weekend, indeed, the feature race in the UK this weekend is the Celebration Mile. Uh, Chindit has been bashing heads in top company all season has uh, been running okay is this his chance to shine trainer richard hannan he's running okay nicholas don't love that phrase but he's finished fifth now in three group ones in a row but run with huge credit and i think the last race particularly he looked very competitive and maybe he didn't stay that last half furlough. I keep reading everywhere and every paper from written by all the experts that don't have trainers licenses, of course, that he wants a mile and a quarter. Well, it clearly showed last time he doesn't. This easy mile at the weekend is right up his street and hopefully there's no poetic flair, there's no palace pier and, you know, the horses in between. He's been running in the very top mile races and this is a good chance for him to get his confidence. Is there a key to him, do you think? Is there a way to ride him, a set of circumstances I that suits him? I think you could say that dogs, by his own admission, would say that a little bit out of his ground in the Guineas and in the St. James Palace stakes. But he had absolutely every chance in the Chattanooga, and there were no excuses at all apart from he didn't run fast enough. And, you know, we'll just start build with the building blocks again. We're starting in Group 2, and if and when we accomplish that, we have to throw him in the deep end again and then he's in training for next year but he's he's a very very good horse but you know he just looked three pounds short at a very top level and you know he might find that improvement in the next month or in the next year you've got some nice two-year-olds lucille was very impressive in the gym crack at york what are you inclined to do with him next well I, you know i've always loved the champagne steaks and i think the gym crack in the I think it's known as a Yorkshire double. There's only one horse who's done it since the Second World War, and that was Threat, who's won the Jim Crack and the Champagne Stakes. So it's been done before, and you know he won the Jim Crack very well with a penalty. And I think he probably will be favourite if he does go to the to the Champagne Stakes, and he'd be a worthy favourite. And he is not by any means just a two-year-old. He does have a lot of scope for next year, and 
but you also have to bear that in mind. But you know me, I'm one of those people. I'm going to have to pull you up there because if he goes to the Champagne Stakes, he might take on Reach for the Moon. And given the given the noise around Reach for the Moon, I reckon he'd probably be favourite. Reach for the Moon, what's that? Remind me. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's brilliant. Uh, Majesty has a look, what looks a, a very, very good horse. And yeah, while I would... I don't think this is a, a irrational fact. That I'm not sure that was a brilliant race to Solario, but he didn't half win it, didn't he? And he would have to be feared. And as we all know, Gozzi unfortunately knows exactly what he's doing and is an extremely capable man. So he wouldn't be going there unless he thought he was of that level. And yes, that is a worry, but our horse has improved as the year's gone on. And... If he is an extremely good horse of John Gosling's and the Majesty's, then then he will need to be to, to beat this, and, and he'll make him pull out all the stops. I hope. Armour is another two-year-old you ran over the weekend in the in the pre-morning. He he lost a shoe during that race, you know, which I, we didn't realise straight away afterwards. It was about ten minutes later, but I'm not saying it as an excuse. He did make the big move of the race. You know, he's travelling lovely, and on the far side. He's made a big move all at once, and then he, it looks like he didn't stay. And I think that's because he's going six furlongs for the first time, and they go a different tempo to the, what they do over five. And he has been racing over five, and so he was a little bit keen in the early stages of the morning. And that might have just made the, the fact that he's a doubtful stare, it might have just um, exaggerated it as well. I've no doubt that he's a five furlong horse at the moment and he will go to the fine children's at, at Doncaster. I think he'd be pretty hard to beat. That morning, I must say, it's probably the best morning I, I have seen in 15, 20 years. It was a very good race. Yeah, I know Richard Fye, he's very keen to, to run his horse in the, in the middle park next. Uh, I can't obviously let you go without asking about two-star, three-year-olds. Mojo Star All Systems go for the St. Ledger, the Kazoo St. Ledger? Yep. Mojo goes is going to go straight there. You know, a lot of people will say, I mean, when minor runs on, they nearly always get beaten. And I managed to have a horse that drifted from 1 to 20 to 1 to 6. I mean, that is a sign of true brilliance, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's, he was never going to be that sort of horse that goes there and wins impressively. He's not, that's not in his makeup. He's relaxed. And that will suit him going the ledger trip. And I think the track will suit him, the ground will suit him, the trip. He has a massive chance, I think. You know, and he's named it, the man that owns him, Kia Jorobchian, his father was called Mohammed Jorobchian. So they used to call him Mojo. And he's very close to his dad, who died 15 years ago to the day when he won his maiden at 20 to 1 on. So he's obviously a horse with a huge place in his owner's heart. I love it when people name horses like this fella after his father. And they end up good horses because it... That's just another example of where, you know, racehorses bring you something that, that money can't buy, if you know what I mean. And every day this horse runs, now it's like a family wedding for this for the owner. You know, all his family turn up, win or lose, it's a great day, and he's, he's taking part in the good races, you know. And Snow Lantern is bound for where? The Prix de Moulin? He's going to take on Bayid. Rated 121. 
more famous than Seabiscuit he is. <laughs> I I get the feeling that you're 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 not frightened of taking on Baid with Snow Lantern. Yeah, well, you know, we can always go back to Philly's only races, and I couldn't hang on to her for another month since since Goodwood. You know, she was just she's jumping out of her skin, and she needs a run. I'm not saying this is a run, but I mean this is going to be a very tough race. But I think it comes at a perfect time, and we can still go to the Sun Chariot. Richard Hannon, I think Lydia rightly hopeful that, that Chindit can win a nice race, but I think he's sort of thinking about next year now and thinking about trying to develop him into a Group 1 horse as a four-year-old. Yes, uh, I, can, I can see that. I think it's, it, it's something, something worth pursuing. Um, I was always wondering about seven furlongs for Chindit. Well, that's interesting, you see, because uh, as he was saying there, he, he railed against the idea that the horse wanted 10, as everyone was telling him, and now he feels he's been proved right and that an easy mile is exactly what he wants. Mm, so uh, you, you, you and you and Richard are on the same page, I think. <laughs> we often are. <laughs> Kindred spirits, peas in a pod. <laughs> Absolutely, I've always thought so. Um, other points to to note in that uh, he's quite keen. He was he was in quite um, uh, punchy form. Quite keen to take on Baid with with Snow Lantern. Not quite trash talking Baid, but there's a bit of narrative going around at the moment. Oh, this horse is overhyped. We're going to get quite a lot of that in the lead up to the Moulin, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. And I can understand it because, I mean, normally I'd be on that sort of cynical side of the divide, but um, there's just something about the way he goes that makes me think that he is the real deal. Um, thought, thought it for quite a while, a while, everything he's done, well, nothing he's done has detracted from that thought, thought since. Um, but I can understand why, why, why people who have horses as good as Snow Lantern are saying, well, look at what she's achieved. Look at what that horse has achieved. Why wouldn't I take her on? And amen to that. Take him on, rather. Amen to that. And I, I, the other bit of that interview that I, I particularly enjoyed was the fact that we could get a clash between Lucille, the, uh, the gym crack winner, and reach for the moon in the champagne stakes at Doncaster. I know that is exciting. I think that is really, really exciting. I like that idea a lot. Lucille, obviously, already proven over the seven furlongs, will be stepping back up after his two Group 2 successes at York and at the July meeting. I really like the, how, how straightforward he, he was at York and, and Pat Dobbs was, as much as Pat ever does, infusing afterwards about this horse's ability. He said that he had you know more ability than his sire, Maymas, who we, sadly we never got to see as a three-year-old. And him versus Reach for the Moon, is going to be uh, quite the clash at the Ledger Festival, which is good because, you know, I, I, I like to see um, the Kazoo Ledger Festival being more than just the Ledger. Well, as from nine o'clock tonight, you will be able to download this week's Saturday edition, which will be a special with John Gosden, a 15-minute interview talking about all his current stars, Mishrif, Palace Pier, whether Stradivarius will stay in training and go to Doncaster. We talk about in spiral and i also got his thoughts on the horse we've just been talking about reach for the moon and whether or not he would indeed as john warren suggested earlier in this week go to the champagne stakes well we're keeping an, uh, an open mind about it you've obviously got that you, you have the lag a day you have the dewhurst those races I'm, I'm happy with the horse uh, this morning so we'll just see how we want to play it he um he certainly relishes his racing at the moment and um I thought he you know, hit the front soon enough the other day. But uh, if he's in great nick, there's no reason not to go to a champagne. But I- John Gosden there. Make sure you catch the full interview, and it's a cracker as well, on the Saturday edition, available to download from 9 o'clock today, Friday. 
Ah, big day at Goodwood tomorrow, potentially, for trainer James Ferguson, who seeks his first domestic group winner with mise-en-scene in the silks of Qatar Racing and the Prestige Stakes. James, she was impressive at Haydock. Did you expect her to be? Uh, I expected her to run well at Haydock, yes. Obviously, first time out, you uh, uh, don't really know what to expect. And, you know, we went in there with a very open mind, but she'd been working nicely. Um, we, uh, we've taken our time with her. She's very much a horse that would be a night, probably be a... Know, uh, a nicer three-year-old, four-year-old type. Um, so what, whatever we get as a two-year-old is, is a bonus. Uh, she's very well-bred, and uh, with the manner in which she she ran, you know, we, we I've had a word, and you know, the team have decided um, this is a this is a good stepping stone onto onto the next stage of her career. Um, she's come on nicely. Um, her, she does her work very easily, and you know, I'd, I'd be I'd be going there hopeful hopeful of a of a big run, but then also very aware that it's only a second start. Early days in your training career, but you've had some smart horses and you've had some smart two-year-olds as well. Is she the most talented you've had so far, do you think? Um, I would say she's... I'd say she's... I've obviously had Zoetic last year who won a listed race, um, but I'd say Zoetic uh, being a fast sprinter, you know, very different type. This horse is probably... This filly is probably a filly that will, um, you know, be looking for a mile at the end of this year, beginning of next year. So uh, very different, but I'd say she, at the moment, the way she won her maiden, she'd be right up there. Uh, you mentioned she's got a very good pedigree. She's from the family of Speciosa, Specificity and Pride, the great Pride. Uh, does that mean she is going to want a bit of dig in the ground or not necessarily? Uh, by Suni, yes. I would, obviously, I would, I would say that she could handle dig in the ground. Um, but from what I've seen, she should be fairly versatile. Young trainer James Ferguson there, very much amongst the winners. Good luck to him tomorrow with mise-en-scene at Goodwood. The first ever National Racehorse Week is approaching rapidly. It's the 12th to the 19th of September. It was the idea of trainer Richard Phillips. We've spoken about it on this podcast before. We've spoken about it on my Sunday programme on Racing TV. But before you knew it, it was here, Richard. How's it going? Well, I'd have to be pretty pleased at the way it's going. I think the industry should be proud of the way they've reacted, really, because um, I think over 140 yards are opening uh, during the week and loads of people are getting engaged. Race courses are showing films and footage of, of what might happen on the day. So uh, GBR have done a great job and the Racing Foundation and uh, Peter O'Sullivan Trust have helped and the NTF have, have really sent it on its way. So I'd be pretty pleased the way it's going, really. Gosh, the sport's sounding dangerously collaborative. Well, I think the idea, when I first came up with the idea of National Racehorse Day, but because there's so much to offer, it's turned into a week, um, I think the whole point is that one thing we all agreed on, and we have disagreements on other things, um, and it's only because everyone wants the best for the sport, but one thing we all agree on, that we love racehorses, and it's a great opportunity to show everyone uh, all the love and care that they get. What what if if somebody is tuning into this for the very first time and uh, has sort of amazingly stumbled across a, a horse racing podcast? What what can people enjoy during this week? Well, everyone's it was been left up to everyone to do their own thing. Really, um, it's partly based on Open Farm Sunday, which is a great idea the agricultural world had about opening their doors to the public about what they do and how they look after animals. And uh, therefore, we were doing something similar. So basically, every yard is doing its opening is. It's up to them what they want to do. For instance, we're opening between the hours of 9 and 12 and Sunday morning, the 12th of September. Uh, one of my owners, you know, is John Inverdale. He's kindly offered to actually interview certain members of my staff and people like vets and physios and all those people actually work and give racehorses that great life. 
And uh, so we're doing all sorts of things, coffee and cake. Uh, we're actually um, having a blessing of the racehorse at 11 o'clock in our yard, uh, an ecumenical service just uh, based on the lines of Horseman's Sunday, would you believe, that uh, I'm an Epsom boy. I was brought up near Epsom, and uh, in my day there would be hundreds and hundreds of horses up on Epsom Downs on Horseman Sunday. So we're doing various things in our yard, but it's up to each individual trainer to do what they think is best. And uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, the take-up's been enormous, really. Well, Richard, I'm, I'm really pleased it's progressing apace, um, and we'd be very much involved with it from the, from the 12th to the 19th and uh, showcasing everything that's going on. So thanks so much for chatting to me. No problem. Thank you. It's Friday, and... Frankly, thank Crunchy it's Friday because this is the most exciting set of thoroughbred racing commentary global rankings we have produced so far, I believe, because everybody was waiting to see whether there would be a massive shake-up off the back of those monstrous performances, seemingly monstrous performances, from Mishrif and Snowfall in the International and the Yorkshire Oats, respectively. And of course, just prior to that, we'd had Palace Piers win in the Pre-Jacques Lemaurois. Okay, so here we go with this week's top 10. At 10, down one for Japan, chronogenesis bound for the arc. Nine, down two, Japanese champion female Milo Gran Allegria. She hasn't run for a while. Up three at eight for Ireland is Snowfall. She has made it into the top 10, but only as far as number eight. Down one at seven to Nawa. She won on her comeback. She's bound for the Irish champion stakes where she will take on St. Mark's Basilica. At six is Essential Quality. Now, he runs in the run-happy Travers this weekend. We'll be talking about that in some depth in a moment. Down one, the highest-ranked United States horse in this list. At five down one is the Derby winner, Adair. Why is Adair down one in spite of having beaten Mishrif in the King George, we ask? At four, Golden 60, down two for Hong Kong. Three is Mishrif up five after that international win, but does not go above St. Mark's Basilica. His Coral Eclipse conqueror goes up one, to two and steady at one is Palace Pier, though the gap is narrowing. And you fancy a barnstorming performance from any one of three or four horses could see Palace Pier usurped at the top. But he may have a barnstorming performance in himself at some point in the season, James Willoughby. What an interesting shake up. And was it one we necessarily expected? No, just to remind listeners that this is the result of automated computation. There's no human in, are not involved apart from the program, and the, the system sits in the cloud, gets the results each week. And then use this principle machine learning to sort out a hierarchy that's consistent with the results. So the question was last week, given Mistress' wildly impressive international win, would he go to number one? In other words, would the computer judge this leaves his form behind and he's a new horse? Or did he just flatter horses that had previously beaten him? And the two horses in question were the Eclipse winner, St. Mark's Basilica, and the King George winner, Adayar. So what was the computer going to elevate those two races and, and, and promote one of those two winners right to the top of the charts? Now, the answer is that it did in one case, but not the other. And it's interesting to, to ponder why that is the case. So why is it that the King George doesn't gain in status? Well, that's because of Love. Love was a close-ish third in the King George, and she was down the field in the international stakes. But the Eclipse has no such limitations because St. Mark's Basilica won it by three and three quarter lengths compared to Adayar beating Mishrif by only one and three quarter lengths uh, with love, as I say, close behind. So if you will, St. Mark's Basilica is less held down by other horses and thus the computer thinks it's consistent to believe that he's still a better horse than Mishrif. 
And one guide to that might be the betting. If the two of them were to meet, how would they be? They bet. I would suggest the bookmakers would make St. Mark's Basilica favourite to beat Mishriff over a mile and a quarter. Well, sadly, it looks as though Mishriff is not in the Irish Champion Stakes, which would be the obvious place for them to meet. So it's an academic question at this stage. Tanawa, however, is James. What happens if Tanawa beats St. Mark's Basilica in the Irish Champion Stakes? Certain world number one without a doubt. And that's because she's already made it to number two after her Breeders' Cup turf win last year. And the reason that she's at seven is because since then, global racing has arguably got a lot stronger at the top table. We've seen a, a number of these absolutely Galactico-type performances from horses. European horses dominate the rankings at the moment, but that has not ever been the case historically. And I've said this for now for a number of months, but this is a vintage European season that we're experiencing. And it hasn't even reached a zenith yet. And the type of clashes that we can look forward to are going to give these rankings a lot more definition. And what's beautiful about this whole situation from a mathematical perspective is that Mishrif and Adeyeb, the William Haggis trained Adeyeb, won the champion stakes last year, of course, they link neatly to horses all around the world through their exploits in Saudi Arabia uh, and in Australia. So we've got a very strong and sturdy classification at the top of these charts that, that it is linked to horses all around the globe. And we can be very confident that these horses deserve to be at the top of the charts. So most any one of this uh, top eight could end up at the top of this list at the end of the year. That's absolutely right. Uh, for essential quality to do it, he's going to have to really open up and start winning by more impressive margins than has been the case. He was not impressive in his Travers warm-up, the Jim Dandy stakes. And when we look ahead to, to Saturday's race, he needs to win by wide, a wide margin, really, if that is in his, in his style, and in his playbook, if he's going to progress further than six. He seems at the moment to be capped just because of what I said. The vulnerable horse, I think, is golden 60. He hasn't run for a while. He's got one massive performance and a lot of other performances which are really good. And he's a winning machine, but his absence from the track is going to start making the TRC computer nervous about his current well-being. And so I think he's the only horse I think Essential Quality could, could leapfrog uh, with an impressive win. So Essential Quality runs in the run Happy Travis States, which takes place on Saturday afternoon in the United States. It takes place at 11.12 UK time. It should be this and then the Breeders' Cup Classic uh, and, you know, but, but as you say, we're sort of looking to him to produce something a bit special. Well, Mishriff could run in the classic conceivably, that which would be fascinating. I personally think he probably won't, knowing John Galston. But it, it would be very satisfying to see that happen. Now, in this Travers Stakes, which has been won by some very good horses historically, Nick, but a point to make is the last decade of winners, there have been quite a lot of Saratoga shocks in this race. I'm talking about Alpha V Day. Stay Thirsty with a, was a worthy horse, but no more than that. And Keen Ice, Catholic Boy. These are not vintage winners. The best winner in the last decade was Arrogate, of course. And we also saw a very good horse like West Coast and Tislaw take the prize. But look at the lineup this year. Essential Quality World number six. Next in on our rankings, Midnight Bourbon, 273 in the world. Then Mask Parade, 322. Keep me in mind, 337, of course, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile third and Jim Dandy second, who arguably is, is one of the most inconsistent horses on the planet. 
then King Fury 494 and the other two uh, roughies. Um, so this is win or bust uh, for the Godolphin cult here. Other points to note, James, include a really interesting running of the Allen Jerkins. That takes place at 9.12 UK time, 4.12 local time. Uh, Jackie's Warrior, a very worthy number 16 in your rankings or the TRC rankings. But what about this horse at the bottom? Life is good. Former favourite for the Derby, never made it, making his debut for Todd Pletcher after the Windstar horses were taken away from Bob Baffert. To me, this is the number one race of the entire weekend from a rankings perspective, because we could see some very, very significant action here if life is good. He's able to turn his skills to sprinting. This is the Alan Jerkins Memorial, as you say. It's the old King's Bishop, the three-year-old race that really has launched many a, a top sprinter in the States into his Breeders' Cup campaign and then onto his older horse exploits. But Drain the Clock, who's the, the number one on the card, he was a former top 25 horse until a couple of defeats. Jackie's Warrior, we have always had a massive figure on after his two-year-old exploits. We ranked very highly. He was favourite for the juvenile, of course. He was favourite to be essential quality. That's a nice link with the, the Travers. But life is good. He's undefeated. And so if he were to beat Jackie's Warrior and Jackie's Warrior were to give his running, there'd be no reason to think logically that life is good was not a top 10 global horse he would burst on the scene and this would be um, a rather difficult pill to swallow for a certain bob baffert it would but baffert may have cause to celebrate anyway because the much talked about gamine looks for another victory in the ballerina uh, earlier in the card now she is currently sitting at 17 and she can win impressively we know that uh, yeah, she's a very, very talented mare. Now, this is like the, the female equivalent of the Travis Stakes, in as much as you've got one very highly ranked horse, a lot of lesser ranked horses, and Gaming has to win to maintain her status as a world top 20 thoroughbred. She's looked absolutely brilliant uh, throughout her career, and it, this is a perfect distance for her. Seven fouls on the main track at Saratoga. She's got stall one as well, lucky. She's got loads of early speed. She has to win. I think she will win. I think she'll win by uh, double digits, perhaps, even, looking at the opposition. And uh, she'll give a boost to herself, to Bob Baffer, and to world number one dirt sire, into mischief. Now, the 10.25, 5.25 local time is the Resorts World Casino Sword Dancer Stakes. It's not the first time that Ryan Moore has flown over to ride in this race for Aidan O'Brien. He does so again with Japan. Ought this rather disappointing European horse to dispose of this rather subpar collection of, of US turfers or not? No, not necessarily. It's a question really of which Japan we're going to get. But we have a higher ranked horse in the shape of the much improved Chad Brown runner, Tribuve, and a five-year-old has really come into his best now, son of Tornado. He had been quite lightly raced, but he seems to have put a few runs together and this has enabled him to build seasoning and conditioning and his last race was his best one. And that was the United Nations... Uh, win a two-length win over imperador this is a, a, a feeder race the united nations we always see horses do this uh, particular combination they fit in so nicely and so we have tribuven slightly highly ranked he's a, he's a progressive horse as well and um chad brown his trainer his horses are running exceptionally well at the moment tribuven is world number 69 and can become a top 50 animal if you were to win this as we expect yeah, Tribuven has come an awful long way. He was finishing seventh in TSA handicaps at St. Cloud last 
spring and is now competing in grade one races for, for Chad Brown. He's turned this horse inside out since, since he joined him from Alex Pontel. And he is higher ranked at the moment on the TRC rankings than Japan. A fascinating international weekend. James, thanks so much. Really looking forward to it, Nick. Thanks. Okay, thank you to James, to James Ferguson, to Richard Hanna, to Richard Phillips, uh, Lydia, of course, as well. And Lydia has a tip for you for the weekend. I like northbound um, in the 350 at first, shaped a couple of times now as though the mile would suit. Um, also shaped as though he's back in some kind of form the last twice, and uh, even though he's been dropped a pound by the handicapper. So I think he's got a good chance at northbound in the 350 at first. Lydia, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening as well. That was Friday, August the 27th. It was also the 300th episode of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Thanks so much, as always, for all your support. It's been so much fun to this point. Roll on the next 300, and we will see you again on Monday. But don't forget, as from tonight, Friday, 9 o'clock, to celebrate this 300th episode, we have the Saturday edition with Charlotte, and it will feature an interview that I have just done with John Gosden, where he talks about Palace Pier, Mishrif, Stradivarius, Reach for the Moon, in spiral and also whether or not the trainers championship really matters as he plots his campaign through to the end of the season all that to enjoy from nine o'clock tonight i hope you enjoyed this episode episode 300 we'll see you again soon bye-bye you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary Thank you.